And welcome to another Round the Rotary with me, your host, J.P. Warren. And before we kick off today, I have to do what uh, we've been doing normally. And I'm going to do this in the uh, in my, my podcast voice. Round the Rotary podcast is brought to you by Capital Petroleum Consultants. CPC specializes in project engineering and well site supervision in all disciplines of the oil and gas industry. Contact us through www.capitalpetroleumconsultants.com to see what CPC can do for you today. Man, I'm impressed. That was I, pretty good, wasn't it? I really thought that was like a pre-recorded thing. So Did you really? I, I wasn't even prepared for that right so now. So when no. you first heard it, you thought it was? Yeah. Anyway, before we continue, guys, the person that's talking right now, I'm very happy he came in today. We've been talking about this for, to get him in here for a couple of weeks, and I guess things kind of worked out. We have Nick Gorey, the uh, the drilling manager at Earthstone Energy, joining us uh, today. And uh, we were talking before he came on. He thought that was a, a, a pre-recorded. No, that's live. We're all live here. I'm actually kind of shocked. No. Around the rotary, we're live. That was a good deep voice. I wish I had more of a, a radio voice. You definitely have that podcast. Try, try, voice. try it out. Try something. Just, Give me I, a radio voice. I just can't get that low. No, it's just not going to happen. I think when you sit close to the microphone, anything can happen. <laughs> hey, so Nick, let's get this kicked off. First off, thank you so much for coming in today, and uh, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day uh, uh, to sit and talk with us. No, um, happy to, to be here. Long time listener, first time caller. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Line three. Um, so. Uh, are you really a long-time listener? Oh, I've actually listened to, I think, pretty much every podcast coming in here. Um, so are, actually, are you a podcast guy? I am a podcast guy. Uh, Joe Rogan's probably my favorite. Of course, that's most everyone's set up. Um, and then I like to listen to uh, some of the other. The Chive had a really good one. Um, Mo uh, with Mo Obituaries, he was a really good one too okay. as well. It's That one's more of a actual just kind of historical setup side i like history a lot so those have you heard of uh, dan carlin hardcore history oh dan carlin's solid dude have you heard the um the uh, monk uh was it the uh, genghis khan no hardcore? it's like an eight hour podcast oh god and it talks about like like i guess like genghis khan and like kind of like his early days and kind of how he like conquered it's it's very interesting and very gruesome it's it's pretty like uh it's not filtered. It's pretty real kind of what, uh, what I guess, tactics he employed back in the day and kind of how he used to psych out his enemies. By, it's pretty messed up. I highly recommend getting that. That's back when it was free when I listened to it, but I think oh. you have to pay for it now, like two ninety nine. But I'll... If it's I'll, good, I'll, I'll, I'll check it out I'll for Venmo sure. you. I'll oh. Venmo you. We'll do a line item on that next time. Perfect. So, uh, so, so, uh, what kind of, so that being said, what kind of, so you're a history podcast? History podcast side. Uh, I'll also, you know, Barstool Sports, yep. keeping up with... Uh, Try and keep up with all the different sports world. It's pretty difficult with everything going on and kind of all around setups and trying to get. I just want sports. I don't want the politics side of things. Uh, so they do a pretty good job of just maintaining it on the sports side. So just just kind of getting rid of all everything political that kind of sticks to everything these days. And we'll, yeah, I want to rant about that later. Let's oh. not get into that right now. We'll bookmark it and we'll bookmark it. And we actually have it here to talk about. So I guess let's uh, let's get it kicked off. Let's get the the normal stuff out of the way. And then let's kind of take our own path right now. Why don't you give us a little background, kind of where you, where, where you came from, where you grew up, and kind of your your your, your different roles in the oil and gas industry and where you're at today. Sure. No, I'd love to. So grew up uh, military family, Oklahoma City. Air Force. Air Force. Uh, aim high. Uh, my dad was uh, stationed at Tinker. Uh, so I was a military brat that never moved. Who would have thought? Um, so actually went to start off college, went to a D2 college in Kansas, uh, was a physics major, actually with a mathematics minor, was the setup, and then uh, blew out my ACL Decided, hey, I'm going to switch to schools. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So what were you doing in the D? What were, you, were you playing ball? 
I was playing ball, playing football. Okay. What did so, you play? Uh, outside linebacker. Okay. So a little bit different. A little different looking now. Uh, I weighed about two twenty five back then, so a little bit bigger of a guy. Yeah. Can't even imagine that. <laughs> Can't even picture that. Okay. So anyway, that's like me. Like that's like me. Like if I weigh like one seventy in March post COVID, I'd be like two twenty five. That's what I feel like. You know, it's the co- it's the COVID thirty. Yeah, definitely. Well, COVID fifteen is uh, a real thing on this side. Um, Don't joke about COVID. Relax, it's a joke. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, burn us in twenty forty when you when you play these back. I'm definitely wearing my mask right now. Don't worry. So, uh, mm. so you uh, switch schools? After switch you- schools, which was a, a blessing in disguise because I originally was a physics major. Switch schools uh, when I actually tried and went to. Down a naval route, potentially, and that didn't work out, uh, which was fine because when I switched over schools, uh, it was actually during a uh, the fall break or the fall time coming in. So all the rooms were taken up. And yeah. so uh, one of my good friends had a spot open up, and she was like, hey, we need another roommate. Come stay with us. Uh, and she was a petroleum engineer. And so I started hanging out with some of her friends, and they're like, hey, we think you kind of really like this. And I was saying there, I was like, well, I could be a – you know, when the Navy thing didn't work out, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to be in a lab every day or kind of doing teaching. It was kind of the two things that seemed like you with would— With physics? With a physics major, you would do. And well, what drove you to do physics in the first place? Honestly, very I, had, interesting. I had no idea what I wanted to do when I got to uh, college. I don't think uh, most people do. No, I do. And, but I knew I really liked physics, and it was something that actually came easy to me. Okay. And so— I just wanted to pursue that and go a little bit deeper dive on it and kind of go, well, if I have kind of a direction of where I want to go, because I was paying college all 100% of my own. Um, my parents, my dad paid through college through going through the Air Force. My mom never went to college, which was no big deal right. for her part, right. her success. And so it was one of those things where like, I didn't want to waste time. So I knew I was good at something, and I was just trying to pursue it and see where it, it came up. Well, I ended up having to spend five years. Because when I swapped over to OU, ended up uh, loving petroleum. Took an intro to petroleum class uh, with Dr. Sam. Uh, and Dr. Sam, if you ever went to OU, what, he's retired now, I believe, or he might still be there. He's a listener of this podcast. I'm sure he is. Uh, loved, fell in love with his attitude and fell in love with his overall approach to petroleum engineering. And he was on the drilling side as well. Well, what about his approach that kind of brought you in, that kind of uh, was attracting to you? Oh, he was... Because <clears throat> everyone everyone has those teachers, you know what I mean? Everyone has those mentors, or they should have those mentors, I feel, in their career. He had a deep... Uh, he was hilarious because he was all over the place, very enthusiastic, very energetic. And he had this very... Uh, like deep um, African accent that was just, he would just go into it at all. And he would have these little quips and jokes about it. And he's like, oh, no, no, no. I do not want to be on the rig at that time. <laughs> and you're like, okay. And so you're like, wait, you're more intrigued. Like, what is he saying? Like you zone out of it and you come back. You're like, okay, what's going on? What's on the rig? Why don't you want to be on it, right, Dr. Right. Sam? So he brought you in. Yeah, and he was really funny about that end point, but also at the same time, he's he's a genius. I mean, he's got his doctorate in petroleum engineering and he's super smart on the drilling side of things too. So uh, it was something that I was just immediately attracted to. And then of course it didn't hurt that uh, when I was looking for an internship, all these people were like, hey, we're going to pay you for an internship. And I was like, it's an internship. You, you get paid for that? Right. Um, oh, okay. I could get behind that. And so and that kind of deep delved into where it started off. I got my, got lucky and got, internships with Chesapeake to start with. Um, and from Dr. Sam and kind of the beginning of the coursework, I knew I wanted to be on the drilling side. 
And so got a drilling position uh, as an intern in Chesapeake and actually met my oil field mentor. Uh, shout out to Kurt Shipley, uh, Novo Oil and Gas uh, CEO. He's also a listener. I'm, I'm sure. sure he is. I'm sure he is. Um, and so he kind of gave me the groundwork for everything as well going into it. And that's when I had a true appreciation on the drilling side and just knew that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a drilling engineer. Uh, that's a path I wanted to go. Would Would you say the main uh, motivator for the path of being, a, I guess, folks on the drilling side versus the completion production reservoir, uh, would that be mainly kind of, I guess, your mentor? I think it was a mentor. And then also on the split side of things where I, I mean, I love the instant gratification. I, I know I've heard Kate and a few other previous podcasts uh people talk about this is the fact that you make a decision right then and there and you get instant um, recall of what happened. Uh, you don't have to wait around forever for figure out how to make a decision. I mean, reservoirs, you know, don't get me wrong. Everyone has their position right. without anyone else. You couldn't get things done. You know, land, you can't, you know, no lease, no grease. And reservoirs like, Oh, it doesn't matter. Cause it doesn't make economic sense. If you don't have us, no reservoir, no bore. Yeah. I mean, there's the whole, Just made that up. yeah. I mean, it's sort of run. Um, and so you get to that whole position, but on the drilling side, there's something I, I love and thrive off still today where it's getting that call at three o'clock in the morning, having to think on, on your feet, have an understanding of what's going on the ability to seize below ground where, you know, that side comes to me a little bit easier than like my wife or say, she can't imagine something without actually having to see it right. physically in front of you where I've been kind of fortunate where I, like I work underground the entire time. And that's something that comes instantly to me where I can picture it, see it, what's going on, have an understanding for it all. And I love that kind of process of, all right, I've got to be on switched on at all times. Whenever I get a call, something's happened. And then I know here in the next hour or two, if I made the right call or not. Um, so it's kind of, so it's a question of you love knowing that first off, it's always changing and something always oh. pops up. It's never, okay, well, I just, I made these three decisions and I'll just come back to work tomorrow and see how they played out. This is, you, you like the, the, the pace of it. No. And it, that's something that constantly changes. I mean, you've got your completion side, which is cool in its own fact. I've worked completions. We can get in that in a little bit where, you know, I have an appreciation on the completions end yeah. of it all production, you know, you're always going to kind of face some challenges, but it's always kind of the same you know, okay, you know, a rod went out or we're seeing some sand, there's the same fixes. Drilling side is truly every single day could be completely different. Right. You're no idea where you're going to get into. And some of the stuff you just, you don't know we're going to have. And, and some people, some people really, that turns them off on the drilling side. They they don't like getting woken up at three in the morning with this or this, you know, random standard, you know, stuff that people are calling the, the, the drilling, they're waking them up and talking about it. But so other people it drives such yeah, as yourself and that's trust me i mean uh, i can definitely say my wife doesn't like those calls at all the time um and there has been times where i was like man i really wish i didn't have to get woken up at this right. time to get it taken care of but at the same time it's uh, always laugh and uh my wife jokes with me she's like you are one of those few people that actually truly loves their job waking up in the morning you have a smile on your face and you're ready to go which i do i mean i love what i do so awesome. uh and drilling did that for me and so when I had that first internship working uh, for Chesapeake, glory days of Chesapeake, when it was a absolutely insane. I mean, of course, oil was crazy expensive. I think oil, um, gas was like thirteen dollars an MCF. So it was a two thousand seven, two thousand eight yeah. area. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, so things were really going, and so working DFW stuff um, that year. Came back, worked another year uh, out in West Texas, which has a play in the reason why. Uh, in my p career path later on. So uh, I think a lot of people don't take a full appreciation of internships and what kind of impact it could have. It had a direct impact on my career path. 
um, as well. And so worked there, came back in full time, uh, got a lot of great field experience um, after I graduated with my petroleum degree. Uh, was lucky to get a job right away with Chesapeake. Okay. Uh, went and did something that I'm super thankful for, which is about 14, 15 months out in the field, uh, working pretty much every single um, area that Chesapeake had. I got to work some Haynesville, work some Arkansas, South Texas, West Texas, when they had it at the time before they sold it. Uh, went up to the Marcellus, and that's where I actually broke out full-time working for them, was drilling wells up in the Marcellus. And some of their first Utica wells too, before they actually started buying up all the Utica. So how so how is we we have discussed working in the field, and I mean I <clears throat> my experience of working you know when I was working offshore was not only did I learn about you know the actual rigs, just like you know your wife, she's able to see something like I wasn't conceptual, you know mm-hmm. unless I saw something, put my hands on, I didn't understand it. So the biggest draw takeaway from working in the field for me was number one, you, you learn the operations, but number two, you're able to communicate. With the people out there, what was what was something you, you mentioned that was kind of your biggest? Uh, uh, it was a great experience for you. What was great about it for you? Well, I think, and I don't want to take away from other engineers or anything along those lines, but I think that basically, if you don't have a lot of field experience, you're not the best engineer you could be. I'll just put it that okay. way because I think being able to write something down on a piece of paper is great and all of being an engineer, but when you ship it out to the rig. They're going to look at it and actually apply it and how they want to apply it. Does it make sense? Does it actually make physical sense? I mean, you could tell somebody to do something, but unless you're out there in the field and you actually have an understanding for how these guys are going to do something, I mean, they're not going to follow every single step. Yeah, they're going to try and mirror the prog, but in all reality, that's not how it goes. Right. And you need to have an understanding of that. And, you know, these some of these people that are coming out and some of the other engineers that miss that, I think they could grow from that um, a little bit and... That's what I loved about it the most was that – and that camaraderie is one of those things, never being too proud to ask a question because we all start somewhere. No one's ever the expert right off the bat. And so, yeah, I mean, was I an idiot asking for the key to the V-door? Yes. I think we've all been there. We started off. Go and like, get the sky hook was my yeah. door. Oh, God. Yeah. 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 And so you have to be the idiot sometimes, but you grow from that and you learn from that. And I'm very thankful for all those hands and for – every single one of the consultants I've worked with in my history, because they've helped shape me to be the engineer that I am today. And without those guys giving me a hard time or, you know, yelling at me for being green or doing something stupid. Uh, I mean, you just don't grow from that if you don't have that. That's also how you develop uh, those bonds. You oh, know what I mean, it's kind sure. of, it's a, not a fraternity because there's, you know, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a family. Oh, for sure. I mean, hell, like as a drilling out in DFW, I remember talking to some of the guys and some of those consultants and some of those hands I'm still friends with today and talk to. Um, And that's something that you don't really get in other uh, arenas or other uh, fields when you get into. So that's another thing you got to love about the petroleum side is uh, not six degrees of separation. It's more like two degrees of separation, I feel like, in oil and gas world. If I didn't know you, I would know someone that knew you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. it, it blows my mind um, how closely related everyone is in this industry. And so it's important to uh, work well and work hard because your your name and your integrity is all that you really have in this industry. So, so getting back on track. So you're in the Marcellus right now. You're, you, that's when you kind of broke out. Yep. Okay. So broke out in the Marcellus, uh, drilled a bunch of wells up there. Everything was going great. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Uh, I think there was kind of a dynamic shift change that everyone can kind of say that worked during Chesapeake during the heyday. I mean, it was an incredible period of time. I think we maxed out 176 rigs. I don't think you'll ever see that in the history of drilling ever again. 
Uh, yeah, 176 rigs at one. Uh, We're at what, 250 right now, something like that, 268? Gosh, yeah, that's it. So mm-hmm. it's crazy to think that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we had Building 7 where I think we house around 56 drilling engineers all together at one 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 company, uh, which is kind of crazy for an independent at that kind of size. Yeah. Um, and then there was kind of a dynamic shift change with uh, the board and kind of the whole dynamic change. And I wasn't really a big fan of where things were heading. Uh, so I was lucky to take a position over and followed uh, my mentor over to Lynn Energy. So how long were you at Chesapeake before you... Uh... I was at Chesapeake for about almost two and a half years. Okay. So switched from there over to Lynn Energy, got taken a position over there. Uh, we're Houston-owned and based, set, but we had a field office up in Oklahoma. We were drilling uh, Grant Wash, Carr, a hog shooter um, out in the panhandle of uh, Texas. And so we took that program up to nine rigs. Uh, met some great people, worked with some incredible people did over there. Did you work there. with Dina Dabowski at the time? I did. She uh, was just on the podcast. So Dina is a great uh, engineer uh, and person in general, a uh, hell of a fisherman. Um, so right. um, incredible setup there. And so they, she ran uh, pretty much down here in the Houston office. And it was kind of a weird dynamic. We talked with the Houston office uh, quite a bit, but we ran as two separate companies almost. So Oh, so you were still living up in Oklahoma. I was still living in okay. Oklahoma. Okay. So we had our full Oklahoma office. Uh, and we ran that uh, kind of separately from the south uh, or from our Houston office. So the Houston office, weirdly enough, they took care of the Huguenin field up in Kansas. Uh, they had some of the Permian stuff uh, that they were still working on that side. And then we had all of the Texas Panhandle. Okay. That's what we worked. So mentor went over to Lynn. You follow. Followed them um, over there. And so we worked that. Uh, great experience. Uh, stayed there uh, and then went actually swapped over for a little bit uh, over to completion side, uh, which I'm thankful for too because uh, I understand now what I have to leave somebody to come back to. Uh, and it's always good. And I've heard other people talk about it on your podcast before. Having that dynamic range of working other areas, I think is vital to other engineers as well, because sometimes you get pigeonholed and only working one specific dynamic and you don't get the full breadth of the picture. And that, Touching on that, I mean, I, I can relate to that. I think uh, during back in 2000, my years may be off, uh, 9, 10 or something like that, there was all these new builds. And I was uh, over at Noble at the time. There's all these new builds. And, and, and you have different motivating factors. For number one, you got the engine, the engineering group that just wants that rig out of the shipyard because that's what they focus on, the days in the shipyard versus days out there. And then you have operations saying, well, is this rig able to start operating at this point? So you have different just like completions and drilling or production, you have different motivators for each group. And unless you understand that, then then you, and it's easy to be like, oh, well, this group's, you know, dragging their feet or this group's cutting corners or this group's doing that. That's not necessarily true. It's, it might be one of those things. Well, actually, this group is not motivated by mm-hmm. making this rig operational at this time or getting the well online at this time. It's, it's, so it's, it's, it's important to understand different people's motivators and actually what um, how they carry out their jobs. So the experience in completions gave you a view behind the curtain. Definitely. And it's, you know, one of those things where you can easily see where, okay, we need to get stuff off location. We've got a frack spread waiting. It's costing money. Let's get in there. And then also, uh, what kind of wellbore do I have? Uh, You know, a lot of time drillers go, hey, let's just drill as fast as I can. But what are you leaving behind? Um, You know, it's great setting records, but is the long-term production going to be okay? Can they actually frack? And, 
you get all the sand away, what's the torque velocity look like, uh, what's the overall going to be long term. Uh, and so that kind of gave me that step back look from there. And that's also kind of getting to that time where I was getting more interested on the business side. And so I actually started getting, working on getting my master's uh, from Tulsa. Uh, in energy business. And I think that kind of gave me a a great leg and understanding of more of the finance side. Um, And that helped play a role later on when actually I came in one day and uh, sat down, had my Starbucks and got called into the office and they go, hey, we're selling all of our assets uh, that we're working on currently. Uh, and so I kind of looked around and I'm like, well, hell, all right, uh, I've got, uh, I'm drilling completions engineer with nothing really to drill or complete. So uh, let's take a look around and uh, that's kind of when it worked out in my favor on the internship side where actually I got a call actually a few days later uh, from an engineer that I worked with previously that was like, hey, uh, Aubrey's starting up something new. Uh, it's called uh, American Energy Partners, and we're starting a Permian group. Uh, I worked with you in the Permian a little bit. Uh, why don't you come on over and okay. come in for an interview? Cool. Uh, so went in for an interview, uh, went great, uh, talked to everyone, and the next morning got a call and was like, hey, let's get going. Uh, so got to get in early on the startup for American Energy Partners, which then morphed into Permian Resources. Okay. And, and so wait, you had about probably about what, four or five years of experience in the oil field before this happened? Uh, yeah, I'm right around five years at that okay. time. Okay. Uh, coming in. and So, so still pretty kind of new. new. Still new. Yeah. Still, still getting green behind the ears. But I, I will say kind of going back, it's one of those things when I start off at Chesapeake, it's coming into a place that was running 176 rigs at its peak. Um it was very fortunate where I liked the setup instead of going to uh, to another company to where you might spend three years in training and come back around before you get assigned something. So you're, t- you're talking about you're, you're the type of guy that actually wants to jump in the trenches and, yes. and get the job done versus being groomed at one of these larger uh, EMP companies where it's like you're going to do eight months here, you're going to do eight months here, we're going to follow up with a review. Yep. Yeah, so you kind of want to be and, thrust into And that's when I knew because coming into it, I was like, look, I want to be a drilling engineer. That's what I want to do. Come work for us and you're going to be a drilling. You're going to be drilling right away. I mean, I started off, had three rigs hitting the ground. And then... Have you, were you ever watching rigs before? No, no. So out of the bat, you have three. Okay. Three, three rigs to start off with and you're handling progs, taking care of it, flying up to... Pennsylvania every few weeks checking on the rigs driving through looking at it all and coming back and then trying to make changes as you go it was insane time how'd you feel about that did you feel like you were like this challenge and this might pertain to some people out there right now but you went into something suddenly you got three rigs you're flying you're kind of it sounds to me like you're just kind of treading water at this point figuring it out oh I am I am definitely not you know free stroke I am barely keeping my head so what was your mindset about this was it like I'm gonna get this done I mean I mean it's one of those things where I I think I most people I thrive under pressure uh, especially on the drilling side you know it's one of those people where I was like oh I'll cram for a test at the last minute because that's when I do best so I really kind of just loved it. Okay. Um, you know, at the time I just was out of college. I wasn't really into any, I was starting to date my wife at the time. So it wasn't anything too crazy. So I had the time to dedicate myself to it all. And so being able to have that capability of instantly being thrust into that and learning from all these guys out there, uh, and all the people that we had, I mean, we had 50 plus drilling engineers in our company at the time. So being able to go walk down the hall and talk to these guys that have, you know, 30 plus years of experience it's drilling. Of knowledge oh, it's an incredible knowledge. Right, right. And so I think one of the things I had to take was just take the pride out of it. I mean, yeah, you have a petroleum engineering degree. That's cool and all. But in all reality, I'd say 90% of the stuff you learn in school has no application to what you're going to be doing in the actual field. 
And so you have to run with that and take it from the guys that you learn out there of what's actually going on and uh, kind of grooming yourself from that. And so having that ability with those guys and getting right away, I think really gave me a leg up on a lot of other um, people out there as far as having that ability to just drill so many wells in a period of time um, that a lot of people don't ever get to drill that many wells just because malice amount of numbers. Um, that's one of the things I think a lot of the engineers at Chesapeake got to take away is having 176 rigs with 50 something engineers, the numbers of wells drilled per engineer are kind of unheard of in the industry in general. Um, so when I made the swap over to Permian resources or at the time, American energy partners, I had a pretty good understanding of everything underneath me, but, uh, it was pretty cool because from that set point, you know, we were in infancy there and we'd just taken over the asset that we had purchased, and so it was fun getting that viewpoint. Um, I had just gotten done with my uh, master's at Tulsa. And so being able to go ahead and see the startup of a company um, and we had weekly meetings, getting to see kind of the growth of it all, what had to be done. And that kind of correlates to your, your the education of your oh. master's. Yeah. So it was actually. Oh, it was, it was, you could not ask for a better inlay between right. literally learning about how a company needs to be set up and then, um, the accounting side of things and overall dynamic of all to then literally being brought into a, a startup company side. And then especially uh, with a guy named, uh, with a guy named like Aubrey, I mean, you can't go wrong uh, on that setup. I mean, it was incredible to see the man work uh, and the overall way everything was handled and the buildup of it all. Um, and so you learned a breadth of knowledge really quickly getting right. to that side and sitting on a whiteboard and for hours and, a week just looking all right how we want to try to plan this field how we want to grow it how do we want to develop it and being able to get in on those conversations at the very beginning is invaluable so again you find yourself in the trenches yeah you're 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 it seems like your whole career you hear that mm-hmm. little cops don't worry about that. gta we're here good. we go we're good <laughs> four alarm sirens so so it, it's it seems like your entire uh uh to date, your your career has been you just jump in the trenches, want to learn, want to go from zero to 60 and kind of learn everything. And actually, it's kind of interesting, too, because what you're learning in college, it's kind of like a real life case study. Yeah. 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 It's um, and it's been it was fantastic on that aspect of being able to just jump in and see the setup of from it all and uh, kind of it split up and it build from being this little. I mean, it wasn't a little acquisition. It was a very large acquisition, but with not a real clear site path going forward and then developing the whole plan for the entire um, acreage set and building it up into its own standalone company. And so having that experience was a lot of fun and got to work for with some great people and uh, some great leadership as well there. And we kept growing it up. And then unfortunately, then we had uh, the giant oil price uh, drop that, you know, kind Wait, of 16, what, 14. What, what happened? Well, you know, oil went, yeah, I know, right? What happened? <laughs> what happened? Oil is great all the time. Yeah. So we went from, you know, a hundred and something dollar oil, then all of a sudden it just boom, gone, poof, overnight. It seemed hmm. like it was just gone. Sounds really familiar, right? Well, I don't think we've ever recovered from that. No, we haven't. And as uh, I was showing you previously, if you look at the uh, rig count from the U.S., nothing's, we haven't recovered at all, really. Uh-uh. I think uh, ever since 14 kind of time frame, around then 14, 15, it's just been a, kind of a downward slide, unfortunately, yeah. um, on that endpoint. And so we got into kind of some trouble financially as far as trying to grow as quick as we can, taking on some debt. Um, 
And we ended up getting taken over by uh, an outfit down here in Houston called Sable. Okay. Um, and so Sable Crew took it, uh, came in and took over uh, the company, and we had the opportunity, some of us, to go down. And um, it was one of those aspects where just we kind of were trying to figure out where we wanted to go in life on the setup. And during that whole process, I got lucky, and it's just kind of how life is sometimes. It, through connection in the oil field, who would have thought, uh, met these guys down here at Earthstone Energy. Um, and we ran into each other, had a few discussions and talked, yeah. and uh, they had actually just taken on an acquisition from Bold Energy as well and needed some more drilling experience there in the Permian, which I had just, which come in, I just came off drilling over 100 wells in the Permian right. and right in the offset acres that they had. And it was just kind of this perfect fit where, you know, I can't, you know, thank the stars enough. I got lucky and just kind of walked right into that uh, and was offered a position down here in Houston. And so I took that role. So wait, when did you move to Houston? I moved to Houston about three years ago now, three and a half years ago. That was longer than that. You were in Oklahoma yeah. before then? Oh, all Oklahoma before then. Really? Three and a half years here in Houston now. Okay. Which all I right. still can't believe it's already been three and a half years. Time flies. It does, especially if little ones, it flies oh, a lot faster. I mean, I can't, my, literally my two-year-old just turned two today, so it's it's his birthday today. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and you're and you're I'm down here doing this, doing do, this, doing a podcast, doing the number one rated oil and gas podcast per my wife today on your son's birthday. We did a celebration already this morning. Took him out for pancakes. We did presents. And you know what? They're not going to remember it. Just get Don't. a picture. Call it. A, yeah, we took this at uh, 7 p.m. that night. I can't say that, but I will say yes. I feel like he's uh, satisfied in his position with his amount of Legos that he received this morning and. Uh, He's got some cake and balloons waiting for him when he gets home this afternoon. Was so. he into Paw Patrol or PJ Masks? Oh, oh man. Uh, Blippy. Have you ever seen Blippy? No, I haven't. Oh, man. Uh, he really loves Blippy, uh, which is this character guy that kind of goes around, sees animals, other stuff. He l- likes Iron Man. Okay. Uh, so real big in Iron Man. We've watched that quite a few times. Uh, and then his number one show right now is Mr. Peabody. Oh, yeah. So, okay, uh, Peabody and Mr. Sherman. Yeah, yeah. He... I know. I'm about I've that. only seen that movie about... I respect that. Two, three hundred times. He makes some pretty good history puns. I, he does. And I and as a dad, ba- I appreciate being that. Being dads, yes. I appreciate that's, that. My la- my wife gives me hell for uh, kind of always cracking up at the puns I've heard about 20 times. But oh, they're God, so good. They're so good. You they're can't. so good. As a dad, I'm like, man, yeah. can you give them credit where credit's due? I get it. I get it. So... Down in Houston for three years. Down in Houston for Sons three years. Sons, too. Is that, is that your uh, oldest child? No. So my oldest is Carter. He's five. Okay. And then my youngest is Cooper, who just turned two. Okay. Today. So you have a 60-month and a 24-month-old. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I've got an 84-month-old. They grow up fast. I can't do the month thing. That's uh, You're the engineer in physics slash math major, so I think you should over me. So anyway, let's let's continue. So Earthstone, you got on with them. So I've uh, been with Earthstone for the last uh, three-plus years now, uh, and it's been a, a, a great whirlwind. Started off as a, a drilling engineer and then uh, worked my way up, and now I'm the overall drilling manager for the company. Uh, we've got about 30,000 acres out in West Texas, right. uh, Reagan, uh, Midland, and Upton County. And then we've also got about um, gosh, I wish don't hope I don't get this wrong about seventeen thousand acres, sixteen seventeen thousand acres down in South Texas between Gonzales and Carnes County. Uh, we had two rigs running at one time um, in Midland with one rig running down in South Texas. Uh, of course, during current times right now, uh, we've laid the rig down and we're kind of just buying some time trying to see uh, what's out there. We're in a great financial position though, so I'm very fortunate to be at a company that was uh, run by a great CEO before he kind of just stepped down into a role. Frank uh, Ladinsky, he did a great job. He was a he's also a long-time listener. Long-time listener. Um, so uh, originally background as an accountant. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really like taking on debt, uh, which set us up 
great for yeah. being able to roll through this kind of uh, downturn right now. So uh, we're fortunately in a, a, a good position. I guess uh, you know no one's in a great position during this period, but we're we're better than most right now. Um, fortunately, on that endpoint. So we're hoping to keep that going, and uh, we're working the M and A side pretty hard as well right now. And so we're going to kind of keep building from there. But well, I was going to say, man, during these times, I mean, whether you're in a great financial position or not, I mean, with you know you laying the rig down, reduced activity. How are you actually? <clears throat> not you personally, because you never had this conversation. But how are you as a drone manager, as kind of a leader at uh, Earthstone uh, Energy? How are you? What do you communicate? Your, or how are you guiding your team through this dumpster fire? Oh, dumpster fire it is. And I think the only way you can is just plain transparency. Um, there is nothing to be hidden. And that's one of the things I try to take as I, I've learned as growing up and being a leader through everything is communication is key. Um, and I think you've had some guys on recently that were pretty great about it, especially, um, oh, was it? I barrel bits uh the guy or the barrel group they just oh, had Derek all, Nixon and yeah, Jamie Sparing. Right? yeah um they were you know great you know how they were talking about giving you know weekly updates to yeah. people that they didn't even think they needed to give updates to were getting updates and yeah. I think that's imperative especially during times like now and uh, I reach out to my consultants and they reach out to me still they're kind of like hey what's going on where yeah. we're at um and you know you gotta view it as you're not more important than anyone else just because you have a title um and you've got to look at it that way where at the end of the day we're all just people and they have lives to work and live and try to get through, and so do you. And so trying to be naive or, you know, sometimes the truth, it, it hurts, but I'd rather just be the honest truth and give people a real impression of what's going on than just kind of trying to sugarcoat it or, oh, we'll be back next month, don't it's, worry. It's, 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 it's easier to deal with the hard reality up front than it is to kind of be led in a circle, kind of having the the, 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 the blinds drawn over people's eyes. I, I, in my opinion, I'd rather be told pretty much, hey, this situation sucks, X, Y, Z, we're doing this, these are the external factors we can't control, but I'm just, we're communicating with you. I'd rather deal with that than a, oh, well, everything's good and dandy. The next thing you know, two months later, you walk in, the shop's closed. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of those things where I just try not to try to even deal with any of that craziness and just give them, you know, the truth from the get go. And it's one of those things where, you know, I can't control a pandemic. I can't control what the Saudis or the Russians are wanting to do. Um, And it's one of those positions where, okay, hey, I think we're in this position. I think, you know, at this time we might be in a better position. We're just going to keep building from here. Um, If there's anything I can help you with personally and or professionally, you let me know. I'll be willing to help out wherever I can um, and try to make it happen. And that's where, you know, I get you know requests all the time from LinkedIn, from consultants and other professionals trying to find work and other things done. It's like, look, I'm sorry, there's not anything I can do right now on that endpoint. But if you need anything yeah. I can do, you let me know. That's we're in, we're all in this position where you know we're we're trying to get through this time of craziness and this unknown going forward. And it's just being a good human at the end of the day is what's important. And it's I think that if you can do that and just kind of put titles and everything away and just be a good person in general you're going to be better for it and you know the rest of the community in the world is going to be better for and i get i mean being part of a uh, you know a consultancy group i mean i get a lot of you know as the work out there's you know random linkedin message and i try to respond to the majority of them saying man it's tough right now no there's not that being said just shoot me the resume just in case yeah. of the company like whether you can help them out or not you can still communicate yeah. to them and just kind of let them know what's going on. 
Yeah, and the least you thing you can do is show some kindness to somebody because you don't know what kind of, you know. Dude, the world needs more kindness right uh, now. We're, let's get into that later, though. But right now, I want to I want to continue down this oil and gas career development, and then we can kind of go into kind of the uh, what grinds our gears. But uh, and you're, so it sounds to me like there's an equal um, uh, balance between mentorship and experience mm-hmm. in you in your career. In your personal career, what's been more, I guess, would you say is important for you? And how important is that for you with your team? Is it is it mentorship or is it experience and what you're looking for as a team? Oh, man. Um, I think for personal growth, I mean, mentorship is a huge part. I mean, you can go in and try to be, you know, the young kid that thinks they know everything, but you're still coming to these guys that have years and years of experience yeah. and try and grow from that. And so being unbiased and asking questions is huge and having that ability to go, Hey, I don't know. Um, I'm to the point now to where I have a really good understanding. I think of most aspects of everything after 10 plus years of drilling and drilling a few hundred wells of kind of understanding, but at the same time, I'm not out on the rig all the time. Right. Uh, I don't live out there. I don't have the guys. And so that's why I really try to push to my consultants and the guys I work with is, I rely on them as much as they rely on me. I can give them a prog, but they're also the hands that I got respect and go back and forth with. And so if I got to give respect to get respect, it's kind of been my life motto on that point. And these guys have been out there their entire lives, sacrificing their lives to be out there. And And you're not going to walk in with five years command and respect. So, oh, I did this in the office and these calculations work, so do this. Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing is, again, calculations on paper only mean one thing when you got to deal with Mother Earth on the other side of things. So having that ability to really just be working with them as best you can and having that knowledge base is great. And I think having that kind of ability to – you know, lay yourself out there with these guys uh, gives you a lot of headroom out there and a lot of trust. And, yeah. uh, you know, I've gotten a group of guys that I think that I would, you know, easily go to bat for on anything. I think we could go out there and drill most anything out there with, you know, lim- little problems just because of this relationship that we've built. And having that trust in guys that you work with is what, really big. And I, I think that's what kind of differentiates a lot of groups because, you know, nowadays it's anyone can get the tools. Uh, and, I, oh, yeah. and I think that's one of the things I've, I've said a lot and any of the vendors that are listening uh, will probably have heard this from me a lot is, you know, anyone can go ahead and get a Ferrari, but can you drive stick? And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, do you have guys that understand what's going on? They can get the job done and take care of it all. Um, and having the personnel, I think, was, makes a big difference in a lot of companies because you can get a 1500 horsepower rig, you can get seven inch motors, you can get the best bits out there in the world, but what makes the difference at the end of the day between... Yeah, and that's it. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's your team, and it's the people that you have, they have together. Like, yes, I don't get me wrong, I feel that, you know, some directional companies have some better tools than others. I feel that consulting groups, you know, have some better than others, CPC. Um, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And so I think that's where you get in the, the setup where if you have the right people in the right position doing the right job with the teamwork and the right mindset, um, anything's possible yeah. and you can be great at what you do. Um, and I think that's what differentiates. You see a lot of different companies, um, out there do better than others that are in the same areas. And that's because of the people, what they bring to the table. Um, and if you treat people as people and not just a number, uh, I think that's where you get. And that's something that I've kind of grown into where, you know, I've gone from uh, being at this, huge company that is Chesapeake to... Which you were, which, 
Yeah. I'm not saying you were a number, but you probably no. felt like a number. No, definitely definitely a number. And, you know, we had our sets, and we were good on that end point. But then you know, I've gone smaller and smaller, yeah. and it's one of those so things. Where it's it's great walking in, knowing everyone's face, and being able to talk to anyone and having that ability. And I think communication at that point just becomes such an important deal um, that it's, you know, uh, overall work experience is huge on that point. And that's where it's really interesting during these pandemic times of, you know, pandemic not, times. not being in, I know, God, I cannot believe I'm saying that on a microphone. Well, very, these pandemic times, like it happens every, what, every six months. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. Yeah. Being, you know, not having that face-to-face uh, and being in the it office. Sucks. It sucks. It's, gosh, it's horrible. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I love just being able to talk to people and getting face-to-face with people and having that interaction and that discussion. Because, again, I think that's what makes it important in the oil field and the industry is, you know, tools are tools. And, you know, that's great. And numbers are overall fantastic. And you can do whatever you want to and manipulate them. And I don't want to go into, uh, you know, certain people and the aspects. And we don't have to. Ah, well, I mean, kind of want to. But <laughs> it's one of those things where I feel like, if you're an engineer and overall set points that if you look at just what numbers are economics basis, you're not going to perform the best you can. Yeah. And I, we can maybe edit this out later, but on the trouble side of things, it's, I feel that a lot of people get caught up looking at what it costs a sack for a bay ride is or what a re reline cost is going to cost them. And they don't look overall at the general people that they have and the setup that they are. And they step over a hundred dollars to pick up a dime and it it bugs me to the aspect where having this connection having the face-to-face i think is going to probably put a really big damper in the oil and gas industry in general like you're doing great metrics coming along analytics are coming along but having the right time to grow relationships build with people know that they're going to pull out all the stops to get you materials get you things done is the game changer you know in the what oil and gas industry. you know what you, you you're right now i feel like you're telling no about the flood i think uh you know i think back in 2016 um i was at a, a, pre, a another company penergy and uh i remember when everything became from relationship to price and i'm look i'm not saying that's wrong you know Price have to be a certain point to, you know, AFEs and all all that stuff. But at the same time, it's like just like a pair of shoes, just like a car, just like a good bottle of bourbon. I mean, you you kind of pay for what you get. Exactly. You know, I mean, if if you got people that aren't staying in a company that flip over every six months and you're just bidding on price and something messes up and you pick up that phone call, you you pick up the phone and make a call. And you get someone on the other line that, A, doesn't know you, mm-hmm. that doesn't really give a shit about what's going on with you, that doesn't care about your operations. It's like, oh, man, we'll handle this on Monday. Call me back on Monday. That's not helping you out. And, yeah. it, and people have expect I, – I feel like this. I feel like some, some customers expect to still expect the same quality of service, and, but they pay for a different price. But it's like, man, I, I – if you, you can't. You can't. You can't. No, and that's... It's, it's, you pay for what you get. You know, I've, I've told a lot of guys that I've talked to in the past of sales side of things where it's, I don't really care as far as overall costs. And they kind of gave me this look like, what? Yeah. what? What do you mean? I'm like, well, you know, if you come in here and you're going to try to sell me on, on the directional side, for example, and you say, hey, we're going to come in at this day rate. I'm like, well, okay, that's great. That but might cost me X day, right, if you exactly. mess up. Yeah, it's like if you look at the spread of a rig in general and the overall cost on the daily side of things, it's, you know, if you save me a half a day because your directional driller is better at sliding than this other guy and I know the relationship with that guy yeah. and I know that he's better at doing some small micro slides or he might have a better BHA set up in his mind of where things are going to go on this well, then that's overall better and I've saved more time. Um, so that's 
totally in green on that side where it's sometimes I think the relationships are a lot more important than the overall cost side of things. And that's where, you know, this, uh, things are going to get more interesting as we go forward, um, especially when you start looking at the analytics side and start taking out relationships and the numbers as well. Um, I think uh, you just had Kate on uh, with um, uh, Oventive yep. and she talked great about, you know, hey, here we go forward with analytics are probably the most important setup. Uh, Man, you're hearing that from a lot of people, actually. And you really are. And don't get me wrong. I think analytics are vastly important. Um, we use a uh, few different companies to take a look at it, and we have some of our internal side of things where I like to look at and get the numbers based off of, you know, look at performance side of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, things are still going to break in the overall setup. The, the number one change, though, what you can't control, and that's what I think a lot of people kind of miss overall, is people. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, until I have everything being run off of, till onshore becomes more offshore, and onshore is a hundred percent automatic. Yeah. 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 If, if I was running offshore, onshore, then yes, I would totally agree with the analytics side of things. But more onshore right now, I'm not running rotor steerable on every single setup. I'm not running, uh, you know, a automatic roughneck. I've got hands out there that are still putting together a piece of drill pipe in the setup, and I've still got teams. Yeah. I've still got a pickup drill pipe that's not automatically being done. And there's these things that you can do if you have the right crew and the right people to get things done that are going to be better overall. That I can't just get through an automatic driller making a change on my differential pressure. There's changes that can be done by personnel only. Right. And I think that's kind of where some people are kind of missing on the, uh, the point on some points where you can get into if you can get better people and that connection uh, I think is you know drastically important to the overall success of a company and the people that are in it. So people, uh, personal relationships are, are a big thing with you. Yes, and as they and as they should be. I mean, you you, you pay you know the person, you know that they're going to pick up the phone if things go haywire. You know that you're going to get the best that they're going to want to fight for you. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's extremely important. So that being, you started talking about where the oil field's going. I kind of wanted to kind of pry into that a little bit. I mean, I obviously you're not sitting here with a crystal ball that you you predict X, Y, and Z. But I mean, what, what's your feeling, overall feeling personally? I guess in your little dome on where the oil field's going. You know, or I, things to focus on. No, uh, I don't know. I think I, I take a second of hesitation here just because I don't know if I have as um, a rosy picture of what the oil and gas field is going to be like going forward i wish i could say it's going to be you know over a hundred dollar barrel and life's going to be fantastic and you know we're going to get back to the well, heyday if you want that go on linkedin click any one of those yeah. articles that tells you either oil's gonna be really good or it's gonna be really shit yeah i mean that's all in point um on my viewpoint i think it's going to be a little rough um my only hope and aspect is you know we get some sort of vaccine here pretty quickly um for covid and that kind of gets everything back to right. you know going um, and even if we do get a vaccine, I think it's still going to take at least 21 to kind of get back and going. If you look at the EIA reports coming out recently, we're still above average on a five-year average, um, not a one-year average, but a, the five-year average. We're still above on overall oil inventories and on distillates. And until we, airlines get back up in the air going full-time again, getting more flights going, more people are back on the roads, overall consumption's back. I don't care how much the Saudis or the Russians kind of curtail production. They're already curtailing. Yeah. Um, and they can only do that for so long because, you know, that's the way their economies are run or off of production right. on that set point. And then 
uh, you've got people like the UAE who are kind of just producing what they want to and are not really staying within OPEC Plus's uh, uh, regimen. Did you see that Mediterranean uh, group, the little conglomerate to go over natural uh, gas prices? Oh, yeah. That was pretty interesting, it's, I thought. Uh, gosh, yeah. I mean, you can't, re- the world dynamic is going to be ever changing, but I still think that. Where that's at, I don't know necessarily if prices are going to rebound that quick. I think the biggest kind of interesting fact that I still don't really have a a good grasp on is overall U.S. production. Um, Because if you look at the overall numbers, you know, in the crash in 14, you know, it took about six months, six plus months for kind of the rig drop to occur. And when that did occur, it still wasn't down to the numbers that we saw today. This last drop took less than right around three months. So half the time. Um, and so Isn't I the lowest activity for like 80 years or something yep. like that. And so when you look at that, I mean, yes, we've seen gains in overall production on per well basis that I've kind of made up for that. But then you run into a problem where, you know, we haven't been drilling as many holes and most of these wells, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a reservoir engineer. I don't pretend to be, but I kind of feel most of these are at least 80 to 9% rate, uh, decline rates. And so even at, so if we don't have, 600 plus rigs i'm going to say running you're not keeping up with overall production and i would you know i don't have the number of ducks in front of me i don't know how many ducks are in the united states but i would say it's less than what we had in 16 um just due to the fact that you know rig rig rates drop right. so quickly right um so with that being said we don't have that many wells to bring back online when oil prices do rebound as much and so i kind of foresee where we will probably have in the future when overall demand starts to kind of really fully pick up, we'll probably see some pretty good spikes, which yeah. is promising for us. But I think overall, in general, it's going to take a little bit while longer than most people are expecting to see. Um, with that being said, I all know I I would love to see prices rebound back into the upper 50s, lower 60s. Um, I think right now we're, you know, being kind of down low 40s and up, but I think a lot of people could probably pick up and get back to drilling. I think there's a lot of hesitation, though, man. Oh, I, there is. But I think if we get to the point where it's pretty cons, uh, consistent, yeah. above 45 with a strip leading into the 50s, potentially. And like you said, consistency. Consistency is key. Having these prices where it's like, oh, hey, everyone's feeling great. We're at $43. Like, yeah. we might be picking up here in Q4. This is looking awesome. And then all of a sudden it drops to 37, And everyone's like, Th- those plans are on hold. Yeah, it's like, those oh, oh, hold oh let's hold off on that a little bit. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so if we can get prices up to that point, we'll be good. Well, that kind of wants me to, uh, that has me segue into our other conversation. So during these times, I mean, a, a lot of people right now are finding themselves, uh, uh, you know, either out of work or they're stagnant in their jobs or, or they're just kind of sitting there and, and, and waiting for things to go back. We talked about uh, Dave Ramsey Wood, you know, hope is not a plan. Yeah. Um, we discussed that before the, the, the podcast. I mean, what, what would you say to people out there right now that are just kind of, that are kind of waiting and, and, and just kind of on the sidelines, waiting for things to pick, up, pick back up to, you know, high 50s or 60s, maybe in 2021. I mean, I mean, I would say if you're in a position where you're out of work and you're trying to find something to do, it's one of those things right now where I would say pursue your passions and yeah. go for what you want to do. Um, you know, people are passionate about other things. And if you can make money, if you become so good at something that people will pay you for it, do it. Um, if you love woodwork, if you love painting, if you are really good at um, Dude, baking, baking, yeah, I mean, just something. start something and work for it. I mean, I don't know. You you live one life, and I would hate for people to sit there at the end of the day, like you know, 
on their deathbed going, what if? What if I could do this? If only why, 10 years ago I started uh, this. Why didn't I do this yeah. earlier on the setup? And it's one of those points where I think this could be a great renaissance, in all honesty. I mean, yes, sometimes the oil field doesn't work out. But, I mean, if you got in the oil field thinking this was going to be your career for your entire life, then I'm sorry you didn't look at the overall cyclical nature of the oil field. And that's the thing, man. I feel like a lot of people right now during these times, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it, it, first off, it sucks. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's a very nervous time. You don't know what that's going to look like. You, you know, you like, you know, in the past, we've gone through these, you know, little busts and we're like, okay, well, you know, six months, it'll kind of, kind of regulate, regulate itself and be back at this stage, you know, but we're not at that stage. Like, that's not our current reality. And I, I agree with you. I think this will be a renaissance. I think that people should probably start. I mean, I've seen a lot of people on whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook, uh, kind of go into their own passions, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, whether it's, you know, woodworking, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, fit being a fishing guide or something like that, like exactly pursue your passion. Yeah. You might not make, you know, that, you know, the income that you want, but shit, just as we know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. I'd rather, I'd rather be happy with a medium paying job than, you know, miserable making, you know, seven, eight figures, you know? And I think that's uh, a lot of people, you know, I don't know, might hopefully not take offense to that, but, you know, making any money is better than making no money. And I yeah. think a lot of, especially, I, you know, a lot of the older generation probably doesn't deal with it, but younger generation, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 32 or 33. Gosh, God, I'm getting old. Uh, 33 and a lot of my first guess- off dude <laughs> shut up i'm 40 i'm getting old i'm 33 well i'm my, my first kid when i was at 33 so actually my first and only kid at 33 boy oh god um so i'm sorry you're getting old at 33 go on i know that's gonna probably give me hell um but no i'm just saying i think a lot of people at younger age or whatever i think get a little too proud especially you know we can talk more about this in a minute with social media and the setups of it all Let's talk about it now buddy uh i think a lot of people get this false conception about what life should be and they you know they scroll through instagram and see these millionaires and people driving around in ferraris and bugattis and you know on their yachts and going well god what did i do with my life why oh god, why can't i just be there why can't i be, I be there or the setup and yeah it'd be so great it's i'd be nice. happy if i was having sashimi in cabo right now <laughs> I mean, well, shit. So would I. Yeah, yeah, no shit. Who wouldn't want to? Be but that's there? the thing, man. I, I feel like right now we're living in an age with whether it's social media, Instagram, Facebook. That that, that comparison is the thief of joy. And I, I don't know who said. I think Rose, Roosevelt or somebody said that. But comparison's the thief of joy. And right now there's a lot of egos, and there's a lot of pride. And I remember, I remember when I was offshore. I remember a five year noble drilling. So I got my undergrad at A and M. I got my master's in France. And here I am working on a rig. When I wanted to go to marketing, right, and be selling these things, wearing a suit and, you know, madman style, and here I am working on a rig, and I remember the uh, the uh, the um, the pulsation dampener. Oh yeah, pulsation busted, and there's you know oil based mud everywhere oh, yeah. in, in the shaker. So um, or the motor room, and I'm in there kind of cleaning up. I'm like, this is my five year anniversary at Noble, right? And I here I am cleaning up mud, mm-hmm. you know. But at the same time, I mean that's a that's a reality check. It's like. Wait a minute, dude. What do you want to be doing? Yeah. Like, you want to be entering data into some accelerator? Like, you're working with some of the best guys out there, best guys and girls out there. Like, have fun with it. So, you really do have to check your ego and stop comparing yourself to other people. Like, I think that's a, a problem a lot of people get into is trying to, you know, in this world today is automatically, like you said, comparing. In the setup of it all, it's 
be fortunate for where you have and where you're at and keep on working and go from there. I mean, happiness isn't truly defined between, you know, having material things. And that's how, that's how I view this stuff. I mean, uh, I forget who the guy overall said it all and, um, and, you know, misquote me or look back on it and we can add it in later. But it's one of those guys that said, Hey, you know, a Rolex and a Timex from Walmart tell the same time. Yeah. A Ferrari and a Honda get, get to the same location at the same time. Um, so it's one of those things where you don't always necessarily have to have that stuff to get to that point. Um, and so being able to just do work and what you're passionate about makes life easier. It's one of those things where, you know, it's the eight old adage everyone's always heard. If you truly love your job, you never work a day in your life. Right. And it's kind of corny and whatever, but at the same time, during times like today, it's not a bad way to go. But that's but 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 that's the thing though. I, f- I feel like right now I, I don't. I think you know like you know what are you passionate about? That, that's such an easy question to ask, right? Mm-hmm. But it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? It's like um, Alan Watts, a, a, a philosopher, said you know like you don't know what you want in life because either a you already have it or b you don't know yourself. I mean, so what are you passionate about? It's not like oh well, I like doing this. I like playing Xbox. Well, what are you passionate about? What 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 hobby, if money was an option, would you dive into? Yeah, you know that it, it's it's really kind of a reflection on yourself and kind of understanding yourself and kind of, I guess, a, a self reflection. Find what does make you passionate, mm-hmm. and how how would you pursue that to make a living? Yeah, and it's it's a great question because a lot of people. Just, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome. Uh, not a lot of people just sit down and take the time to think about that. And I, I think that's one something that during this time people can actually sit down and you know write things down to. A vision board or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Do something that you go, okay, this is what I love. This is what I think I can do. This is where I think I can go with it and go for it. I mean, the worst you have to say is, you know, my mom always told me when we were trying to do stuff as a kid and sell chocolate during these giant fundraisers is like, what's the worst somebody's going to say? No. And that's, that's, oh, if you can live with that and understand that, okay, wow, that's not going to hurt my feelings. Then what's the worst going to come from it? Yeah. Okay, so you can go for it. You don't succeed. Okay, move on past it. That go goes on. back to checking your ego, though. Yeah. If you can't handle a little bruise about hearing a rejection no or something like that, then then you're, then you're not cut out for it. No. And that's... Uh, that's a whole nother rant we can get on and people just not being able to being offended by things or not having the ability to deal with it all. Dude, everyone's offended right now. You're getting, you know, comedians, you know, that are, they're, they're being ruined right now from a joke they made back in 1985. I mean, and right now with social media, oh. with, with the news, with everything, I mean, even if you have no idea about something, I'm kind of bored. I'm going to go be offended right now. And that's, that's the problem. I think everyone nowadays has that ability to be offended and, I think gone are the days where it used to be like, hey, I'm offended. Okay, I'm going to get on with my life. Now it's, hey, I'm offended. I need everyone else to know that I'm not offended. Only, not only am I offended, I need a grassroots campaign to point my finger at this person. Why I'm, but look, man, life's not serious in my opinion. Like, yes, there are serious things. There are, you know, serious, you know, sadness, whether it's death, whether it's disease, whether it's this, whether it's that. But, I mean, man, you got to have a good time with it. I mean, at the end of the day, there's, you know, the only thing that you are guaranteed is that you are going to die. And yeah. So uh, other than that, I mean, you've just got to go for it. I mean, there too many people are dwelling too much times on somebody's opinion on something and going, oh, I don't agree with that. Let me go ahead and spend my next. But, it's, but it's been escalated right now through social media, through the, the comparison culture. Yeah. You know, the cancellation comparison culture. And there's 
Facebook, I think, and the ability and being able to get on instantly on your cell phone and look at something and scroll through it every night, any minute you want to, and see all these different opinions, and it's kind of... Which are actually catered towards you if you watch The Social Dilemma, like we talked about. They're actually catered towards you. So if you if you kind of get pissed off that, you know, people not taking off the foil on wine when they uncork it... Next thing you know, that's going to be on your feed, and it's going to start getting you more pissed off, more upset. It's like, oh my god, no one's un- no one's unfolding their wine before they cork it. This is ridiculous. Like, I hate this. And next thing you know, it's like, so I agree. It's it's disconnecting with 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 that easy access to look and compare. But not only that, they feed you shit that you oh, should yeah. be upset about. No, and it's just. Go, come on, feel it. I know it's feel it. it. Culture in general, I think, has just taken a, a back step. I think that overall, our we've never been more connected, but never more disconnected at the same time. We are all divided right now, and I kind of want to TM that stain uh, because that's the whole aspect. I feel like we have more ability now to be connected with anybody in the entire world, but at the same time, we are more divided than we have never ever been as a country. Well, everything's every, everything's about that right now. Division. Oh, it, it's incredible. Are you Republican? Are you Democrat? Or um, are you white? Are you black? Or are you Dem- mask or pro mask? Yeah, pro are mask, you, pro mask. Um, you you, you Chick Fil A or you, you, you McDonald's? It's 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 everything. Everything it, is a political stance. Are you NFL or you not? And I I think we get into this weird dynamic where. People are trying more appease people for the public eye and the setup. And we're, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of just over it all, really, on the the side of the social media side, where I think it's just kind of taking an overall rule of people's lives where you just can't be yourself anymore. I, I, without being viewed in a negative point where, you know, you might, I think gone are the days where you can be disagree with somebody over something just pretty simplistic. And still be friends. And still be friends. It, it's it it breaks my heart and seeing some of these friendships and people that you've known and forever family members yeah, too. I've seen it plenty of different ways where you know you might have a disagreement over something, but you know, why can't you just disagree? And move yeah. on with life. It's okay to disagree. Yeah, I mean that that's what makes us people. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's the beauty of it all. Of being able to have the choice of having an understanding of something and move on from. But it. But right now, I mean, right now, I think with social media and, and and don't get me wrong, I am being this way. I'm 40 years old. And I'm and my job <laughs> is marketing. Yeah, you know, so I understand how important social media is. But also, I'm kind of taking the stance that, man, ignorance is bliss, man. It's not a bad way. I, I'm so past this point where I'm just about to just give it up what, all. Well, what did you say before? You said it was information overload. It is. And it's to the point where literally you can look up anything in the entire world and yet we sit here and bitter, you know, get, you know, back we and bitch forth. about whatever. Yeah, bitch and moan with each other yeah. about what's going on in a setup. It's like you could literally learn anything. You learn any hobby. You could learn to code. You can create beautiful and incredible things. Yet we sit here and spend that time instead of just bitching at each other, instead of growing. Um, and it's kind of gotten to the point where I'm just kind of over it all. I'm over it. I'm it's over it, it's kind of incredible to where culture has moved to this point. where It's gotten to the point where it's like, you know, it's, 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 it's Democrat versus Republican, black, black versus white, evil versus good, this versus that, American versus treason, whatever you want to call it, yeah. right? Whatever you want to call it. By the end of the day, you got to – I mean, we're, we're neighbors. We're Americans. And that's what you kind of, me personally, that's not like a pat, well, that's not JP. I don't like hearing this around the rotary, but it's like, 
man, I mean, there's enough shit going on out there. It's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be mad anymore for a reason that I actually personally, if I actually sit there and think to myself, I don't give a shit about that issue. I don't give a shit about this. I don't, I don't care where this guy goes, gets his hamburger. You know, I really don't care. Like ignorance is bliss in me. Like yeah. I, focus on what you control. Exactly. And there's your family, it, your friends. And there isn't a whole lot you control. And I think a lot of people get up in arms about what they think they control and they can't control or, you know, the political side of things or the setup of it all. And like you said, at the basis of it all, it's what can, what I try to keep my whole mindset to is exactly what you just said is what can I physically control? I control who I talk to every day. Yeah. Can I get on the phone and connect with somebody that I haven't talked to in a few months? I think that's key, being able to talk with people, having the general ability to keep up with your friendships and foster that and be there. What can I control what I put my energy into? Do I feel like I'm growing from, you know, bitching about something on Facebook or LinkedIn and or the second Facebook, um, which is a whole different topic? And, or, you know, do I move on and do something that I can grow from? Do I try to learn a hobby or try to learn some new history or grow my education? Or, you know, it's one of those things where people can, you know, you can do what you want. But at the end of the day, are you happy with the growth where you're making it from? Dude, I got I got off of Facebook on my phone for about... I'm on Facebook, but I took the app off my phone about two weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. I strongly advise anyone out there, try it out. Try it out for two weeks. I guarantee you there'll be an overall sense of calmness. Oh. You know? I mean, it's you're not going to be as outraged about anything, you know? It, it, it'll it'll kind of take you down a couple notches. Well, it's, well, when you don't have all that information feeding into you on a day-to-day basis and kind of this general corruptness of what the world's going through and everything's so horrible and bad, if you just kind of just go back to itself and you're like, oh, okay, or go for a hike for a few days. Go ahead and just leave your phone at home. Disconnect. Yes. I mean, God forbid you hear that, that D word, disconnect. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I, I, can't, don't, I, can't. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like... No, that sounds incredible. Just leave your phone at home. Just hang out with friends, face-to-face, contact. You know, people are going back to this 80s parenting mentality. Oh. You know what I mean? Like, oh, dude. Like, because a lot of times people are very, you know, helicopter over their kids oh, and all sure. that stuff. Now people are kind of going back to 80s parenting. I advise, if you want to do 80s parenting, you're right. Get away from your phone. 80s parent a little bit. You know, sit outside. You know, have a cup of coffee. Have a glass of bourbon. And just hang out. Oh, talk. and Let them play. Be outside. Do whatever you can. I mean, you know, didn't get me wrong. Like, I have two kids. I've gotten stuck in that trap where i just give them the ipad and call it a day because yeah. i want some me time but at the same time then you know the other day i sat down and i looked around and i was like oh my god like i'm on my ipad wife's on the phone kids are watching ipad one's watching tv and it's like we just don't have that interaction that we used to that is so you know you know something you can grab on and so tangential though it's like right there for you go for it not even that but it's also the imagination yeah i remember as a kid i mean we you know no ipads or anything like that but like we used to like you know, like, you know, you have this pen and this pen would be uh, a pretend gun or like a makeshift toy or a wand or something like that. Now it's like kids don't have iPads. It's like, what do you want me to do? It's like, use your imagination. And they don't even know what that is. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong. I know times have, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, oh, times have changed. Not in my Which, watch. well, I understand. I mean, like back when I was growing up, you could let your kid outside and say, hey, don't be back until lights come on. Right. That was perfectly fine. Like, that's what we're used to. You do that now, you're going to get arrested for child neglect. And there's not really nothing that has really changed but the light, the fact if you do do that as a parent, you're a bad parent. Yeah. And it's the perception basis of it all. So don't get me wrong on that aspect of things. And I can't, and I'm not preaching to anyone because, hell, I just do the same thing as everyone else right now. But I'm growing to that point where I'm just, I'm just so tired and over it all where I'm just like, all right. 
there's got to be better times because that's what I feel all these platforms are starting to turn into, you know, Facebook. I'm seeing it more on LinkedIn side of things and even on Instagram where I just it's all just information overload of just crap that you keep seeing over and over again. And it's just like, OK, that really doesn't matter at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it's that one-on-one relationships that you have with your friends and the setups because that's where you fall back to at the end of the day. It's when, you, when you're when you in a hard spot, you don't go ahead and try to reach out to some random person on Instagram or some far-fetched person that you've never talked to on Facebook that you got into this argument about politics six months ago. Or you don't post a picture that everything's fine, you're happy, and when you, next thing you know, yeah. it's miserable. Yeah. yeah, and it's you reach out to your friends. So, I mean, at the end of the day, I just – between all of this and all the talk, it's I, I would feel that if you can foster relations, get in front of people, build overall talking points and that face-to-face interaction with your people and build overall relationships with people that are in your life that actually care, you're going to be better for it. So start calling your buddies. Yeah, that's all you can do. I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, we all end up six feet under where you're at and it's who's going to be there for you is it going to be the people that are on that you argued with on facebook or is it going to be your friends and so i kind of wrapping that up toward the point where be out there talk to people have the interactions stop you know bickering i just i'm just over it at this point i think a lot of people are how many times do you think you're going to change your mind on your favorite color if it's yours is green mine's blue and i argue with you (sighs) you think that's ever going to work no and that's the thing. I mean, talking about funerals, I mean, at the end of the day, I've, I've always said, look, I don't give a shit what I do. But if I have a big funeral and it's a and it's a good time, all these people are there, that's when you know that you made impact on people's life. No doubt. I mean, that's what you can only hope for is, you know, it's people you're remembered because it's not what you argued on Facebook or you posted on LinkedIn or that. It's the people that you actually physically impacted. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's the only living legacy that you have are those people that you've actually impacted in your life. And start thinking that people aren't more different than you, that they're more similar than yeah. anything. And it's uh, having that ability to talk to people and get into their lives and make that impact is really where you want to be at. If you were to do anything, earth stone, whatever, everything is gone. If you were to get into anything right now, talking about following your passion, what would it be? Oh, God. Uh, I've always said that if I could go ahead and get into anything and I won the lottery, I would actually probably take every Votech class I could possibly can on woodworking and in car shops and bourbon. So so woodworking, car, okay, so all right. I would, I would build furniture, build cars, and collect and probably try to resell bourbon wait have you ever well you kind of do that right now but have you you ever rebuilt a car before no well i've done a little bit i have a 1980 corvette that i got with my dad really uh l82 uh original uh big block engine 350 big block uh and we've worked on tape deck huh tape deck yeah uh actually yeah what would be the first song in that car that you jammed out oh god huge question right here this is probably the most important question right now we've had on it around the world. Oh, shit. Uh, I'm going to have to go Leonard Skinner, Sweet Home Alabama. That's the first song you're going to play in a in a cor- okay, Corvette. Yeah. I respect that. T-Top's off. It's a T-Top? T-Top. Whew. T-Top's off. Nice summer day. Or, well, not summer day. Spring day. Okay. Windows down. T-Top's off. There we go. Yep. Leonard Skinner. Yeah. Okay. I might do something a little more uh, Panama. 
Okay. Or by Van Halen or or something ACDC. Uh-huh. That's just me. Or the Colt, Sonic Temple. Uh-huh. Something that, from that. Nothing wrong with that at all. A little more rock and roll. I don't think you can really have a wrong answer if you're rolling around in a vintage Corvette. Well, if someone wants to drop Crash by Dave Matthews Band, I'd be like, all right, dude, wrong. Get out. Get out. Yeah, 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 wrong yeah. answer. Wrong. Hop out, actually, hop out of the T-tops. You can't do that. Don't worry about it. Still be woodworking. So you're really into bourbon. Love bourbon. Uh, bourbon, scotch are kind of my hobbies, uh, side thing. Where it's, And that being said, you just don't like drink. Like, you're really into them. No, I, I really, uh, I love the history behind it. I love the scotch, where it's kind of the first thing I really got into. Yeah, uh, yeah. I got into, my friends were giving me some wine. They're like, hey, try the wine. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's okay. They're like, oh, can you taste the current and the licorice and all that? I'm like, oh, it tastes like fermented wine. They're like, oh, it's a $200 glass of wine. I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, we're going to move on. Then yes, I can taste this. Yeah. And then I got my first glass of scotch and like, oh, hey, can you taste the peat in this? Can you taste this? And I'm like, actually, I can. And so um, that's something I kind of latched onto. And I was like, okay, hey, I, I really like kind of scotch because I have an understanding of the profiles and where it's from and the style, style of it all. Uh, and then my friend's like, hey, you should try some of this bourbon and get into it. And then I saw some of the economic benefits of getting into bourbon and flipping it and that kind of style of it all. And okay. so um, – and that's where I've Is that of, what brought you into the economic benefits or was it like the, the difference of the taste? Uh, the taste is pretty good. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like old fashions are probably my favorite right. drink ever. Right. Um, and that's my number one go-to, any bar I go to. Uh, but I do love bourbon for the flip side of things and being able to flip it and that kind of that culture and the setup of – Oh no, it's it's fun. The what people call it uh, bourbon hunting. It's, yeah, you know, going to the it's a thing. Going to the liquor stores, trying to find that hard to find bourbon, looking, and getting, then asking, "Oh, you everything in the back?" Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, I know I was just looking like ten minutes for nothing. Uh, do you have anything in the back? You don't need the real stuff. And hopefully, the guys like a bourbon enthusiast. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're one of us. Follow me. Yeah. Don't worry. Like, yeah. I got you covered. Yeah, it's usually like, oh, you're not a regular. Get out of here. I don't want to talk to you. You haven't bought anything from me. Why would I sell you this? So that's what you got to deal with. But no, uh, bourbon in general is something I, uh, I've fallen in love with and kind of liking uh, the style set of it all and, of course, the taste profile of everything. And uh, and it's it's a fun cultural set just because the, the hype behind it. Yeah. Um, it's just a growing brand and a set, and people kind of just fall into it and it can be uh, – you know, hardcore hunters on it all or, you know, expertise on the side of it. Or um, just enjoy it. Enjoy it. Uh, the like, random. The, the randomness in the class of it. Um, I mean, that's another thing. I mean, if I could, I mean, dream job, like, let's go to dream job here. I mean, if you could pick one job, what would it be? International Deep House Techno DJ. Oh, God. You would fit the profile so well. Go on. What's yours? Uh, I mean. Actually, my dream job would be sitting here with you right now around the rotary. <laughs> Second dream job, international techno house DJ slash actor. Go on. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Very believable. Very believable. I mean, dream job. I mean, who would – God. I would have to say probably working for McAllen and being a master distiller. Dude, I got McAllen. a good story about McAllen. Oh, so uh, a family friend of mine was a, 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 a liquor sales rep and all that stuff. Yeah. And I did a McAllen tasting. And we started off with Famous Grouse, and we worked our way all the way up. And I, I know we're coming short on time. Damn, dude, we're talking for an hour and 15 minutes. Jesus. You know that. So we did this we did this scotch tasting, and we started off with Famous Grouse. We did da 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 McCallan 10, yeah. McCallan 12, McCallan 15, blah, blah. and then we had McCallan from the Prohibition era. Oh, man. Oh. Which was kind of cool because it's like – this wasn't sold in the U.S. for nine years, and it was it was this, and obvious with evaporate and all that stuff. So 
that was that was a pretty cool uh pretty cool experience and i I think that's what gets me most about, you know, wine's cool and people have wine that, that's old and yeah. it's great and the setup of it all. But for me, bourbon, I, I think, is underappreciated and some of the setups in scotch also. And, you know, wife gives me help because, like, you paid how much for this bottle? But then for me, when I think of, like, the tangible setups, like, one of my most prized bottles is a bottle of 30-year-old Macallan. And it's one of those setups where it's, when you think about it, it's something that's been 30 years in the making. Can you think of one thing that you've in your life? Most people can't sit back and go, other than kids, <laughs> you know, have looked back and go, I have taken care of something for 30 years and have tried to build it up to be the best it possibly can be. And then I'm going to go ahead and put it into bottles and give it out to people to sell. Yeah. And so I can see the price behind it. Like, I understand that, minus the fact that they also get taxed on the full barrel and all you really have left is like... Okay, okay. Yeah. Go on, go on, go on. So... Don't get real. Don't get realistic with it. Yeah. So the passion behind it is the fact that you, somebody has taken care of and cultured this thing for 30 years, and you have the ability to sit back and just open up a bottle and taste somebody's work that they've tried for 30 years to get there. And to me, there's something, something tangible and incredible about that experience, about being able to have... A drink from that time period you're like oh my god this is almost older than i am in some cases you know you can get a a, a balvini 50 year or a mccallan 50 year which is 60. insane when you think about something that's been around for that long and has been just raised for somebody to have a drink of it it's that's what blows my mind about and it. here i am mixing with diet coke yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't you dare don't that's you me. dare <laughs> that's me um man Nick, I, I I know that you got to get on the road here in a little bit. I know we've been talking for about an hour and fifteen minutes, but is there anything that you want to bring up that we haven't touched that we touched on? I'm fine. I got all afternoon. No, I I think we've gotten pretty much everything across. I I would only say to people right now is, you know, I think a lot of people have come on here in the past say, hey, keep your heads up, you know, keep working hard. But I kind of go back to the whole point where it's you know do what you love to do um, and keep building from that and work towards something that you find tangible in your daily life. Because at the end of the day, it's about something that you love and something you want to do. Um, and you can't, you know, pay for that. And if you find something that you truly do love and want to build for, I think you're going to be better for it. Uh, and life's going to be better. You're going to be better to other people. You're going to be more respectful of other stuff, and you're just going to kind of have an overall better setup. So um, that's all I'm going to say uh, on that end point. I think that's a good point. I mean, at the end of the day, as we talked about life short, mm-hmm. and uh, I'd rather go out having a good time for the past five years, enjoying what I do, enjoying the people I meet. And, and here's the deal. If you start pursuing something you're passionate about, it may not turn into something overnight. It's going to take work. At it. So just per- continue to pursue that. Exactly. I mean, I don't think uh, all the greats, you know, Leonardo or... Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, my ex-co-worker yes, in yeah. Basketball Diaries, that I was an extra in. I did hear that on another podcast. I do love the thought. Are we talking about Leonardo DiCaprio or Le- Le- Leonardo da Vinci? Da Vinci or, oh, the Ninja Turtle. Yeah, the Ninja Turtle. Uh, so if you look at all the Ninja Turtles um, <laughs> as their renaissance heroes or in setups, I don't think, and or any of these other modern guys coming around they just never start off being fantastic you gotta work towards it and they also then become incredible people and they also were their biggest critics their entire life oh for sure they thought they were shit no and that's the thing and i think that's a lot of people nowadays still think that van gogh never sold a painting when he was alive no yeah 
And so that's you gotta just work for what you love and do, and you're gonna be okay at the end of the day. So hopefully that's something that you can pursue and something you love, and go from it. If that's oil and gas, that's fantastic. Uh, if it's not, then it's okay too. Don't worry about it. And also be kind. Yes, people. Uh, I think that's something we've gotten away from a lot. Um, that's a whole another two hour, whole what hour and seventeen minutes we could probably discuss. Um, be, kind be kind to everyone. Be kind to everyone. Uh, no one's better than anyone else. On the you end don't of the know day. what they're going through. You don't know what they're going through. You don't know what's been done or their history or what you know they potentially could go through. So uh, everyone's a it person. It doesn't cost you anything being, being kind to others. No, it doesn't. And that's it's the most simplistic thing in the world is just being kind to somebody, saying hi, saying bye, reaching out to the friends, Thank you. talking, yeah. being a good person in general. Amen. It's not hard. I agree. Well, Nick, man, first off, I appreciate you coming on this podcast. I know it's been a while, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you, we got uh, got you on here. I really love diving in with kind of what, not only your background, but kind of what makes you tick. I love hearing about this stuff. And anyone, if anyone has any questions for Nick or myself, you can reach us at roundtherotary at cap-petro.com. Again, that's roundtherotary at cap I'll do the bit, I'll do the uh, the voiceover voice. <clears throat> you can reach us at round the rotary at cap-petro.com. Again, that's around the rotary at cap-petro.com. All right, Nick, I appreciate it. Thank man. you so much. I appreciate you coming in, buddy. No, thank and, you. Uh, I look forward to having you on again. Appreciate it. Wish you continued success. Thank you, sir. Thank you.